And now for something purposely positive. Welcome to Strive to Thrive, the Purposely Positive Podcast, brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. This is Tony Wexler, your host, and on this podcast, we talk about positive issues to bring positive content into the world. Every year, most people resolve to get healthier, but most of us don't follow through. There's an old expression that says you can have everything in life, but if you don't have your health, you have nothing. Part of living a purposely positive life is living healthy on purpose. So what are ways we can do this and not feel like it's such a chore? On today's podcast, my friend Kelly is going to discuss how we can truly live healthy on purpose. Now, Kelly works with people in the realms of fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, and abundance. So I'm excited to have her here today to discuss this topic. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Tony. It's an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you help people to do the things that help them to live a purposely healthy life. I would be thrilled to do that. Thanks, Tony. So I grew up in New York, really blessed with two amazing parents who truly loved each other. And when I was 13, I wrote in my then diary that I will be an exercise therapist. And we do things to move away from pain or towards pleasure. For me, the pleasure was I loved exercise. Anytime I was running, jumping, swimming, cheerleading, softball, I just felt this endorphin high. I was like, what do people not get about this? This is awesome. And the pain was I had a really strong family history of heart disease, diabetes, stroke, obesity, cancer, alcoholism. I looked at all that and went, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. So I went on this personal intentional journey and I had to wait until I was 17 to get certified as a fitness professional. And then I wound up getting three degrees as a clinical exercise specialist and uh, in cardiac rehabilitation. And I was just committed to waking up every day, helping people be well. And I really was blessed to be able to own and operate health clubs, manage corporate fitness centers. I founded a school that prepared people to be medical exercise specialists and personal trainers. And that was the first 14 years of my career. And then I had kids and I didn't want to be the mom that was gone all the time. So I had a partner who thankfully bought me out and I came home and I still wanted to contribute to the industry on a really high level, but also be able to raise my kids. So I started writing, speaking, consulting, editing, spokesperson, you know, network marketing, fitness boot camps, really anything that I could do that would allow me to reach people, coaching people online 22 years ago before it was even really popular, um, just to be able to, to reach people to help them to live their best lives. So you're reaching people, helping them live their best lives. What I like is that you're just so committed to this. And this is really, you've really found your purpose and passion in helping people. Now, over the last year, we've had some difficulties in uh, the realm of health. Uh, we've had this crazy COVID thing where people have not been able to go to the gym. And just recently now, gyms are starting to open up and people are able to do fitness-related things. Did you have any challenges over the last year 
helping people to um, achieve their fitness goals while they were kind of cooped up in this whole this pandemic. Because I know a lot of people, there's a new expression out there called COVID weight. A lot of people are putting that on and now they're all trying to take it off. Yes, it is a real thing. I am not denying the impact that COVID had and you know the lives that were lost and the illness that people had and the residual illness that people have. I have personal you know, friends who had absolute challenges and even friends who were super fit athletes who still, you know, months and even a year later are having some residual issues. So it is absolutely a concern. Initially, I do work with several clients who are older, you know, in their 70s who have compromised immune systems due to, you know, a variety of different conditions from Parkinson's to heart disease, lung issues who initially had concerns. And after a few weeks of staying home, they said, Kelly, I feel better when I exercise. I would rather come out and exercise and take my chances than I would to sit home and just feel my body deteriorating, my progress going backwards, and I'm going to take my chances. So I did get a UVA light, which we know kills the uh, bacteria. So they felt safe coming here all the cleaning, sanitizing things you could possibly do. So I did not lose any clients. I am actually in Texas. So we were a little bit more open here than some of the other places. I left it up to my clients, but I can't say that it hurt my business necessarily. I was set up to do things online for many years. So was able to do, you know, Zoom type calls and coaching and send workouts through apps. I wrote a book um, about five years ago now called Mom and Dad Paneurs, and it was about how do you figure it out from home? So just looking at what do I do in this situation? How do I keep my own immunity up? How do I help my clients do the same and really keep the fear away? If you could keep the fear out of your brain and keep your immunity up, COVID was much less of an issue. So that was really my commitment to keep my clients inspired, healthy, informed, and not let fear overtake them. That is so true. Fear is really such a negative motivator for us. Those of us who are in a fearful state will actually have more illnesses creep into our bodies. That's not a good thing. So getting rid of that fear is a good thing. And it sounds like you've really uh, worked it out with people that you work with. So let's transition to those listening right now, because they want to hear about, gee, how can I get healthy? You know, here's these two people talking about health, but you know, I want to turn around and I want to start living that healthy lifestyle again. And how can I do that on purpose? And how can I do that where it's not such a chore? And one of the things that I always advise my clients to do, and I am not a fitness coach, I am not a nutritional coach or anything like that. I do study a lot about everything. But one of the things I say is movement. You got to get up and you got to move. I think the first thing that I do every morning is I drink 16 ounces of water, then I get up and I move. With those two things, what else would you advise for people? Well, those two things are great ones and certainly don't want to downplay the importance of just doing those things. So the water, anybody should be able to do. Your body's made up of 75% water. So if you consume that as your only beverage, your body will miraculously start to act the way it's designed to with your metabolism and your hormones and so on. So 
uh, we don't want to just lightly skip over the water because it is huge. If you go down the beverage aisle of any store, I mean, think about 20 years ago, 30 years ago at the grocery store, we did not have all of those beverages. And most of them, I mean, there's no fiber, there's lots of sweeteners and sugars and artificial flavors and, and dyes and so on. So even just swapping out water, because it's in the small things that the big things start to happen, that alone can be huge. And when one thing happens, it becomes a catalyst to other things happening. So I, I love that water thing. It makes sense. Your body's mostly water. Get It's a kindergarten thing, but so many people miss it. And when you're dehydrated, then the reverse happens. I mean, your cells can't communicate. They get rigid. They're just holding on to toxins and so on. And the movement also not something to you know really brush over because there's still a small percentage of people that are exercising. Our bodies are designed to move every single day. I'm not saying do a powerlifting workout seven days a week, but get up, move, do something every day, wherever you are, start there, do a little bit more tomorrow, a little bit more the next day challenge yourself. If you've been doing the same thing, do something different, but you can't disconnect the spirit, the mind, and the body. So if you can get the body moving, there will be mental health benefits, not only in, in clearing your brain, getting rid of fog, memory, longevity. It means so much that happens to your brain, including your attitude, your emotions, and even spiritually, that's affected by the physical movement, especially if you can do it outside. So there's so much power to being in nature and what that can do. So as you said, um, water movement, the next big one I would say is sleep. We are absolutely a sleep deprived nation. We are doing things that are so unnatural. We're staying up at night under bright lights, looking at technology, taking in things that are putting fear in us and just overstimulating us and our brains just cannot shut down. So not only are we going to bed in fear and overstimulated, but we cannot relax. And when you're amped up in stress, you're not going to sleep. You're not going to get restful sleep. You're going to wake up when you sleep, that's when the detoxification happens in your body. That's when your melatonin is supposed to come out like the garbage truck of your body and clean up the toxins from the day. And when that's not happening, now you're starting your day off. You know, your hormones again, aren't regulated. Your body still has the toxins from the previous days and your energy is really, really low. And if you look at the sleep industry in terms of over-the-counter and prescription medications, it's a billion-dollar industry. People are waking up still in a sleep state. And now they're expected to operate a vehicle, to get to work, to drive. And the car accidents are higher now in the mornings because people are not alert from sleep aids. And it's just unnatural. So if you can get back to the natural things of drinking water, moving your body and sleeping, you know, without even getting into any massive biohacking, those three things alone are a great, great start. If people master those three basics, it could change everything. Let's backtrack a little bit to sleep again. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. There's a lot of myths and a lot of things that are going around in relation to sleep, first of all, regarding the number of hours you need to sleep, we hear stories of, oh, you only need X number of hours. But then we've heard people that say, no, you really need to get this much. Is there some balance there? I and mean, what would you recommend? And then the second question has to do with melatonin. 
Now, a lot of people are taking melatonin as a supplement to try to help them to sleep. Do you recommend that? Okay, good, great question. So in terms of the number of hours of sleep that's recommended at both ends of this span of life, so you know, babies, toddlers, children, teenagers need to sleep longer. And actually on the other spectrum, the elderly also need to sleep longer because a lot of repair and growth is happening on those two ends. In the middle is when it's a little bit more dependent on how stressed out are you all day? What type of activity are you doing? How nourished is your body? On average, if you had a give a number to it, seven is a good ideal to shoot for because we do want a certain amount of REM sleep, a deep, deep sleep where we actually can have dreams and visions. That's so important. Some people can be okay on six and other people need nine. So it it really is listening to your body. If you could fall asleep and stay asleep and not wake up to an alarm clock, how much time would that be is consistent, what you need consistently. And same thing on the weekends. Some people might go sleep a little longer on the weekends. That's okay. You cannot make up sleep with a nap. So you can't say, I'm going to sleep five hours and I'm going to take a two hour nap. All the studies show that does not work. It needs to be consistent, consecutive sleep where you're leaving an awake alert state and getting into that deep, deep sleep. So that's, and then you asked me one more thing. Oh, things to do to fall asleep. Was that the second part? Things to do to fall asleep. And then I mentioned, uh, or you had mentioned melatonin as a natural part of the body, but there are supplements out there that people tend to take uh, for sleep, which I guess that would be better than taking like NyQuil. But how much better is that? Yeah, I mean, we always want to do things as natural as possible. As we age, things get depleted in our bodies if we're not taking them in, melatonin being one of them. So if people are finding they're not able to fall asleep naturally because let's just say there's a season of life where something hits them, they're caretaking for an elderly parent, there's extra stress, a divorce. I mean, it could be, you know, get fired from work. It could be anything. If you're just under more stress and you're not able try a little melatonin, you know, it is natural, get a natural source. Um, there's, you can use a spray in your mouth. You can in- ingest melatonin, always go for quality for anything you're going to put in your mouth. It doesn't necessarily mean go to the corner drugstore and buy the generic one necessarily. You know, you want to make sure you have good quality, always use the minimum that you have to. So don't go right for extra strength, you know, the highest dose. So- start with a little, see where a little gets you. If a little melatonin helps you fall asleep, then stick with that. And then try skipping a few nights and see, because your body is so amazing that once you get back into a routine of falling asleep, you might need less. And then if you're lying there another night and you can't fall asleep, try, you know, the minimum melatonin. And you don't want to super dose if you don't have to, because your body gets used to that. And then you have to have it. We want to supplement to get back to the natural way to do things. But like I said, as, as we age and a stressed out body, our body's depleting so much that we may not have what we need to fall asleep naturally. So we have getting a good night's sleep, which is definitely a foundation. We have drinking lots of water, again, because our bodies are made up of mostly water. So we need to replenish that supply. And I've heard there's a formula related to your body weight, how much you weigh, and then you translate that into the number of ounces. Are you familiar with that? For the water, yes. So obviously a smaller person cannot 
drink as much as a larger person. And it depends on your activity level. Um, you know, someone, if you're out in the heat all day and you're a larger person, you know, mowing lawns, you're going to need a lot more than a petite woman sitting at a desk all day. So um, you don't want to get hyper amounts of water in your system because that also has an effect where your cells are not going to communicate because of the sodium and potassium pumps. But, you know, a gallon is, again, if we have to put a number to it, is usually a good place to start. It might be too much for a small petite woman who's not moving very much and not enough for a larger man who's active in the heat. They would need more. But you can use your urine as a guide and it should be pretty pale and clear. If it's dark, you are dehydrated. If you're thirsty, you are dehydrated. Do not wait to be thirsty to drink water. And if it has no color at all, you're probably drinking too much. And sadly, coffee does not count as water, even though it's made up of water. Well, caffeine can be dehydrating and yeah, all, all drinks will contribute, but you don't want to count that as your water if it has caffeine in it, because while caffeine can be a fat boost, a burner, if it is cycled, it can also be dehydrating. There's another dilemma as long as we're into the drinking uh, area. There are all these soft drinks that unfortunately uh, the American generation, and I know people listen to this all over, and I think this is worldwide, but we have the you know Coke, Pepsi, and all these soft drinks out there. If you drink the regular Coke, you're getting like, you know, pretty much a can of sugar, <laughs> which is something, of course we don't want to consume. But on the other hand, now you're drinking the diet and the diet, you're not getting the sugar, but you're getting a can of chemicals that you probably shouldn't be putting into your body. Any thoughts on the uh, dilemma? I mean, obviously it's better to not drink any of that stuff and just stick with your water and your natural juices. If you had to pick between a Coke or a diet Coke, is there the lesser of two evils? Oh my goodness. I, I would go with your option of C, which is not to drink soda. <laughs> I mean, that would be Absolutely. best case scenario is to have water and you can put things in your water, fresh mint, fresh lemon, I mean, put real things in there. If you like carbonation, you can get a carbonated you know, beverage without the syrups and the caffeine and the artificial flavors and dyes and colorings and all of that. It takes away from your body more than it adds to your body. So if you think about every morsel that passes your lips, it's either adding to your body or taking away. And if you look at some of the videos of people who have poured cans of Pepsi or Coke or diet, I mean, it'll take paint off. It will just disintegrate just about anything. So imagine what that's doing to your bones, your liver, your teeth, and so on. So I would say whatever amount of soda that you're drinking, cut it in half as quickly as you can and continue to half it until you no longer drink it, except for the occasional, you know, time that you really, really, wow, you know, I'd just really love to have one. I'm at a barbecue and we're out on the boat or whatever, but it is, it's a car, it's a known carcinogen and the incidence of cancer is just so high. So I would hope people would want to proactively do anything they could to eliminate getting that awful disease. 
I totally agree. So I'm glad that uh, we're definitely on the same page there. I always tell people, get rid of that soft drink because it's not going to help you in any way. Again, sometimes it's your only option or you're at a barbecue and that's what they have and maybe that's what you're going to have. But for the most part, yeah, water every day, doing things more natural. Now, in terms of exercise, you know, I've always felt that walking it's the easiest and the best way to get a natural exercise. You don't have to have a gym membership to walk. You don't have to have a treadmill. Although living in Rochester, New York, we don't necessarily have weather that contributes to getting outside and walking. So I do have a treadmill in my basement that doesn't always gather laundry. Usually a lot of people have treadmills that are uh, great places to hang their laundry on. But for the most part, other than walking, is there any other specific exercises that you would recommend for people? Well, walking is a fabulous exercise for cardiovascular health and for endurance. And the 10,000 steps a day is a good goal or guideline for people to shoot for. And you can monitor that with, you know, any device or smartphone to count your steps. And it gives you something to work toward. So if you're only doing 3000 steps in a day, get to 3,500, get to 3,800, keep going, working towards that 10,000 steps a day as a barometer for heart health. So that would be considered cardio. And I would absolutely encourage them to incorporate the other components of fitness, which strength training, especially as we're aging is so important for bone health. It's important for muscle strength, joint health, metabolism, body composition, and so much more. So any type of resistance training is highly recommended. Flexibility is sort of the, you know, forgotten component of fitness, especially again, as people get older, they're a little stiff, they don't like to stretch, it might feel like it hurts. But things like a yoga class, a Pilates class, stretching, Tai Chi, anything like that would be great to help with posture, to help with youthful aging, um, you know, just to look and feel more youthful. Got it. Now I had, or you were talking a little bit about, we were talking about walking. I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on that too, because I think that's so important. Uh, I read a book not too long ago because I'm one of these psychology and, and just, I love to read. Uh, I read psychology textbooks for fun, but this wasn't psychology. This was a book about cardiac uh, illness. Uh, it was called The Simple Heart Cure by a Dr. Chauncey Crandall. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, but one of the things that Dr. Crandall talks about in this book is that if you are able to walk for one hour a day, it will do the best to clean out your arteries in your body. And the reason it does this, and it was really fascinating, I thought, because uh, he talks about reversing heart disease in the book. And he says that after 30 minutes of walking, what happens is your body will make its own nitric oxide. And if you can continue walking for that additional 30 minutes, it just really gets that circulating through your bloodstream and it really cleans things out. So have you heard anything about that or are you familiar with that? I'm just curious. Not familiar with that particular um, scientist and his book. However, an hour of walking is a great goal to work up to for someone who's doing nothing, obviously that would be tremendous. And for someone who's doing 30 minutes, you know, an hour would be good. It is good for bone health. It is good for heart health. 
Um, nitrous oxide is actually a fuel source, especially for people who are more fit, that your body can use it for energy. So after exercising for a certain amount of time, the nitrous oxide is increased in the body and the body can use it for fuel to continue exercising and even in some time after the exercise is over. So there's something also called the afterburn. So the longer you exercise and the greater intensity that you exercise with, the greater amount of calories and fat that you'll burn post-exercise. Oh, that makes sense. So we're talking about the probably the afterburn here. After you walk for that 30 minutes, it continues to have those additional health benefits. Let me ask you about another form of exercise. And this is something that a lot of people are getting into now. They're called planks, and I'm sure you're familiar with them. A lot of people talk about them because they really help strengthen your core and they're good for building muscles. What do you consider the proper way to do a plank? Because I've heard, you know, putting your your arms and elbows down flat on the ground. And then I've also heard doing it just like a push-up and just holding that position. Is there a better way to do that? Well, the beauty of your body is that there are so many positions that you can do the plank in and each one is going to hit a different part of the muscle or muscle group just a little bit differently. So you can do it on your hands, you can do it on your forearms, you can do it with feet together, you can do it with feet apart, you can do one foot in the air, one arm in the air, you can do a side plank, you can do a rotating plank, you can you know do a, a plank into a push-up, you can do a wide stance with your hands, you can do a close stance. So every time you change position, even just a little bit, you are just grabbing onto a different muscle group a little bit more. I like variety because that, um, you know, challenges you. The link that is the weakest is always where the collapse will eventually happen in the plank. So if it's the low back or the shoulder, wherever it is, the weakest link is always going to break down first. So that part's going to tremble. So if you just start to mix it up and you can get strength in all positions in all areas, that makes the most sense. And you can do it more often when you're changing it up versus using and then potentially overusing the same muscles again and again. That's good. Variety basically is like we always say, variety is the spice of life. So it's also the spice of our exercise because if we can change these positions and do things a little different each day, it may help us to work on different muscles and different muscle groups in our body and uh, really give us overall better fitness, I think. Yes, that is true. So let's get into the time frame for exercise. Is there a better time of day to exercise? Does it really matter what time you do it? A lot of people say do it in the morning. Some people say, well, I don't have time in the morning because I got to get up and go to work. Uh, I'll do it at my lunch hour. A lot of people will say, well, I can get out and walk on my lunch or I can get out and maybe stop by the gym on my way home from work. Some people even say, well, I'm just going to exercise. I'm going to do yoga before bed. Any thoughts? Yeah, that is a great question. So the best time to exercise is the time that you will exercise. <laughs> what research shows is that morning exercises exercisers have the highest compliance rate, meaning that they are most likely to get up and do it because as the day goes on, commitments come in, stress arises, fatigue settles in, and then people get hungry and they find excuses not to exercise versus if you get up first thing in the morning, even if you have to get up 20 minutes earlier and do it, then it's done. It sets a tone for your day. It boosts your metabolism. You start your day with good energy. 
You're more likely to make better nutrition choices as the day goes on, knowing that you took the time and the commitment to get up and exercise versus if you didn't. Physiologically, the best time of day they show is typically about three o'clock in terms of your body temperature and hormones and all of that. Not necessarily the most ideal for most people. It's typically, you know, kind of smack in the middle of their workday, getting important, urgent projects completed. It's the time you'll commit to having an accountability partner, having an exercise buddy really helps now using things like, you know, apps where people are getting alerts and they have a a time that they are reminded to check in and do the activity. All of those things help, but it really takes making a commitment and keeping that commitment and valuing it as much as you would an appointment with your dentist, your attorney, your boss, or anyone else it's keeping that commitment to yourself to doing it. So some people feel like I I do have more energy at night. It's what works for your body, but it's also what have you worked your body into. So if you're staying up late at watching or not falling asleep because you're so filled with fear because of the news, and then yes, of course, in the morning you're exhausted. How could you possibly exercise? Well, those are things that you can decide to change. You can turn off all technology by 7, 8 p.m. and really have a routine to quiet your body, to quiet your mind, to create a practice where you can journal and and do things to really allow yourself to be set up for success to sleep. So when you wake up, you're so energized, you're feeling so great that you want to move your body. You want to stretch and jump and run and get your heart pounding and your blood flowing and the muscles going. So people who say they're not morning people is typically because they're doing things at night that are prohibiting them from being morning people. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it, because I've always said that as well. I've never really been a morning person, but I did find that if I did get up like an extra 20 minutes early just to get a little bit of exercise, and even if it's just sitting there and doing some push-ups, you know, I try to do that, at least get my body moving a little bit in the morning and then walk a little bit. But that's that's interesting that that three o'clock in the afternoon time, you're right. That's not a very good time for people to exercise unless you're working a shift that will allow you to do that. The other thing I tried to do was when I was working a regular job um, before now I work from home, but uh, with my business. But before uh, when I was actually going to work, I would try to get out on my lunch hour and at least at least three days a week and uh, take a walk. So that's always good. Is there a number of days per week that you recommend doing this is, uh, or is every day is obviously the best I'm sure. But uh, if not, if someone is just trying to start out a program now and say, you know, I really need to start taking my health seriously and start making some changes. I'll piggyback it with the timing thing. So with the timing, like right now we're recording and it's summer. So we have the longest daylight of the year. So this is a great time seasonally to even consider two workouts. So if you can, you know, get up in the morning and lift some weights and then go for a walk at night because it's light until nine o'clock, then, then certainly go out and do that versus the winter where you don't have as much light. It's cold. It's dark. Um, so 
for people who are beginners, they might not be able to exercise very long. So two shorter sessions, unlike sleep, actually are cumulative. So if you can get up in the morning and get on the treadmill in your bedroom for 15 minutes, because that's all you can do. And then after dinner, you can you know do a yoga class or get back on the treadmill for 15 minutes. The exercise is cumulative regarding heart health and calories burned, things like that. In terms of days of the week, our bodies are designed to move every single day. And again, it depends on intensity. So if all you're doing is walking and that doesn't break your body down because you're used to doing it, you can walk every day. It is good now and again to have a day where you just completely rest and let your body restore. And if you think of your workouts in terms of season, so you might do more cardio in the summer, because again, it's light and you can get outside and you can walk and ride your bike and swim or whatever it is you love to do. And in the winter, you might do more strength training and less cardio. And it's good to mix it up with your body because you will get used to it. So if you're lifting heavy weights, and again, you're someone who's not been lifting weights and maybe you're a little bit older, three days a week, every other day would be ideal, really excellent. Two days a week is going to give you about 75% of the benefits of three days a week. So still really very good. If you're used to it and you're younger and you want to amp up your results, you could do strength training more than every other day. However, you should split your body parts up so that you're not overtaxing the same muscle groups each and every time. So the answer is that it really does depend. That's why someone might consider a personal trainer, you know, hire a coach, get a pro, get an expert, don't go out and hurt yourself or don't go out and do it and not get results. Cause that's even more frustrating. You don't want to hurt yourself. You want to optimize the investment that you're making in terms of time and, you know, equipment or memberships or anything like that. So having a pro who can look at the big picture of, well, what are your goals and what have you been doing? And, you know, how old are you and what condition is your body in and so on, then they can give you that. That's what an exercise physiologist does. They give you a prescription based on what's most excellent for you. No, that's a great point because a lot of people will try to start these exercise programs and they'll do it on their own or they'll even go to the gym and they'll start working out on their own. And then when they don't get the results as quickly as they'd like, and most of the time it's just because you have to keep with it for a while before you start getting the results, they get impatient. We live in an instantaneous society. We want everything right away in instant. You know, we want to pick up our phone, boom, and everything is right in front of us. We turn the TV on, it's right in front of us. We want everything. So we want that fitness. We want to start feeling better. We want to start losing weight right away. And when we don't do that, well, then we feel like something's wrong or we're ready to give up. But when you have somebody to work with you side by side, who can actually coach you through that process and to tell you, tell you, yeah, you're on track. You know, you, maybe you only lost two pounds right now, but you're really, you're doing really well. You're, you're on track for this. Or if you're not on track, they can maybe say, you know what, you really need to step it up a little bit more here, here and here. So I think that's an excellent point that you brought that up. The other thing I wanted to just mention is nutrition because a lot of people, when they focus on exercise, you know, it's not going to help you if you're exercising and then you're going out and you're, you know, fitting that whole large pizza down your mouth <laughs> the next day, or you're driving by and eating all this fast food. I think this uh, 
fast food is one of the, the great dangers of our American society. Uh, again, instantaneous culture, instantaneous food. We don't have time. So we have to make time to go to the gym. So we'll stop at McDonald's on the way home and have a burger before we go to the gym. That's a little counterproductive. It absolutely is. Nutrition plays a huge role in your health and your physique, even more than exercise does. Exercise obviously does help to burn calories, but you cannot out-train a poor diet. You just can't. I mean, you can exercise for an hour and burn 400 calories, but if you're leaving there and having pizza and a beer and whatever, you're, you know, if you're looking at calories in, calories out, you're never going to create the caloric deficit that you need to lose a pound, forget about 10 pounds or 40 pounds or so on. So you need to be mindful of what is going in as well as what's going out. But again, thinking about every morsel that passes your lips, nourishing your body, the most nourishing thing you can do. I like to use the superfoods list as a place to start for people to do their grocery shopping. So there's, you know, looking for things like, you know, salmon and lean proteins, lean fish. They're looking for blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, blackberries. Any of the berries are awesome. They're looking for, you know, avocado, healthy fats. And then, you know, most of the vegetables are awesome to have in your diet that are anti-inflammatory and just so nourishing, giving you the minerals and the vitamins that you need to really repair from life. And especially if you're exercising, that's an extra stress on your body. So to heal and recover from the exercise is important. But if weight loss is the goal and, and health and longevity, nutrition is a huge, probably one of the biggest components. It absolutely is. I found three years ago, I made a dietary change. I became what I call plant powered and thriving. So uh, that's a fancy way of saying I became vegan and I never, ever thought I'd be able to do that over the years. Vegetarian was a little bit easier, but when I made that shift to get rid of eating dairy products and uh, that was a huge shift for me, it made a big difference. Now I'm not telling everyone that they have to do that, but I tell you, if you start eating more natural and more whole foods, that'll definitely make a difference. And that's something that most people don't do, you know, they go to the frozen food section to buy these processed foods and rather than go into the um, produce area in the produce area, you know, you can buy like a bunch of bananas or apples. And, you know, if you eat a banana, have you ever eaten a banana and felt, gee, I want to have another banana? Usually not. Usually because the banana has all the nutrition that it needs to carry through your body. But if you're eating potato chips, you want to continue to eat more and more because those manufacturers have figured out a way to make you crave more and your body just craves more. So the more natural the food that you can eat, the better, I believe. That is absolutely right. And your body can crave blueberries. It really, really can. It doesn't have to be the potato chips, but yes, absolutely. These manufacturers have figured out ways to genetically modify this food so that it does have addictive properties in it and we want more and then they're showing us the commercials and we're constantly being stimulated by you know soft drinks and alcohol and cake and whatever it might be you don't see too many advertisements for blueberries so we're constantly in, in every way bombarded to eat the processed foods. Yes, the celery lobby hasn't been out there, although I have noticed since I've been drinking celery juice that some days I go to uh, 
my local grocery store uh, in Rochester, it's Wegmans, and they don't have a good selection of celery stalks in there. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, you do the same thing. Drinking, uh, this is celery, cucumber, spinach, kale, and ginger. I'm drinking right now. Ooh, that's definitely a lot better than having a Coke and a smile, as they say, <laughs> uh, because that drink like that you just feel so much better a lot of people i tell them well i drink celery juice every day and they go why would you do that it's because it's good for you and actually i like the taste of it now i've grown to like the taste and i'll do that with carrots and ginger that's another thing i like to do carrots but uh i i have a juicer for that but you can buy all this stuff out there it's all the grocery stores they have all places to buy natural foods and things I'm going to uh, transition to the last real question here is if people want to reach out to you, if something you've said today has really resonated with someone and maybe they want to make a plan to make a change in their life so that when they enter 2022, which is coming up rapidly fast, that they'll start to really feel better and they'll start to live more healthy and live healthy on purpose. Yes, it's really simple to get in touch with me. My main website is Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, Calabrese, C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E.com. And they can find me on all social media the same. Uh, so facebook.com forward slash Kelly Calabrese and so on. Very good. Well, I hope people will reach out to you and really start taking control of that part of their life because it's such an important thing. And again, if we don't have our health, it doesn't matter how much money we make if we can't enjoy it. So that's really a key component. Last question is what I ask all of my guests on the show, and that is what does being purposely positive mean to you? That is a great question. So, Tony, I would say the barometer that I use to live my life by is to let love win. That's the lens that I look through for every single decision that I make. Is this the highest possible good? Is love winning? And it really helps me to be intentional. And when you do that, you really have better self-care, which has been a lot of what we've been talking about today with not abusing my body, but putting myself to sleep at night, waking up and exercising every morning, drinking the water, doing the meditation, doing the breath work and all the things that we talked about. So when you love yourself, now you have love to give out into the world. So when I'm intentional about taking care of me, then I have enough to give to other people, which is, is part of my purpose um, to help people be well. One of the things that you read in the good book, as they call it, or the Bible, there's a verse that says, love your neighbor as yourself. But that implies something. It implies that you're going to love yourself as well. And if we don't love ourselves first, then it's going to be a lot more difficult to love others. And part of loving ourselves and showing that love to ourselves is living healthy on purpose. So Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I really appreciate your knowledge, your wisdom, and what you shared with us today. Absolutely, Tony. And thanks for bringing this show to the world. The world needs it. And you've been listening to Strive to Thrive, 
the Purposely Positive Podcast, brought to you by TonyWCoaching.com, where your greatest success is right in front of you. And you know, you may be out there in the world striving, but you want to be thriving. You want to get off of that treadmill of life and start really living it. You can download a free resource called Strive to Thrive at TonyWCoaching.com, and you can start living that purposely positive life. 